Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we're going to talk about the iPhone SE, iPad Air coming out, M2, possibly MacBook Pro, the iPhone 14 weird notch, and maybe some concerns about 1Password as well. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, and joining me this week is my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Uh, pretty good, Stephen. You might hear some construction noise in the background. People across the street have a lot of beeping trucks, so we'll see how oh, that goes. Oh, very good, very good. Now, I think I saw you recently changed your Twitter picture. Uh, am I right in thinking you have a beard now? I've, I've had a full beard since I got out of the military, like, two and a half years ago. Okay, well, I guess I just always see your Skype picture, and it is sans beard. I don't even know what that horrific thing might be. My Skype picture is my initials, as far as I know, so. That's not what I see. Well, I'm going to send you this, and this is the picture I see in Skype. Oh, that was, uh, I was still in the military. That was like a weekend oh. of, of, of facial hair growth right there. That's <laughs> okay. about all I could muster. Yeah. I see. Okay. Well, I want to do a lightning round of news because there's a bunch of little news tidbits, little rumors and leaks here and there. I want to talk about one password and some weird IRS stuff too. But just right before we recorded the iOS 15.3 beta release candidate was launched. So it means we're very close to a public release. But even though this is like a whole point update going from 15.2.1, I believe, to 15.3, doesn't look like there's any new features. And I don't think it has universal control yet either. Isn't that right? No universal control yet? Nothing user facing anyway. Yeah. And yeah. People usually dig this stuff up in, in special settings. So it's, it's nowhere to be seen. That's almost going to be a year or at least nine, 10 months late, I guess, from WWDC. So... We'll see. I'm still curious to try it. I know your setup would really benefit from universal control with iPad and MacBook there together. So we'll see. Maybe 15.4. 15 maybe we'll see it. Oh, we definitely have another 15 or two left. Uh, even with WWDC coming around, that's several months from now. Right. But just for that. And then the actual releases for 16 won't be till September. So universal sure. control yeah. could ship after 16 is announced. That doesn't matter. It's just. That's true. I, I understand people are like, oh, why even bother announcing it if it's not going to come out? It's just, you know, they planned on it and hit a hitch. It happens. Well, it looks like there's some leaks and rumors pointing to an iPhone SE and iPad Air refresh coming soon. There's been talk about a March or April event. Looks like it could also include these two devices. There was some EEC database filings that looked like new iPad Air and iPhone SE models. The iPad Air were expected to have the A15 Bionic chip updated, maybe some 5G cellular, and that updated center stage front-facing camera, 12 megapixel with FaceTime and all that. The iPhone SE is what I'm interested in, not just for me personally, but I'm really curious. I predicted last year, maybe maybe a little too soon, that the next iPhone SE would lose the home button and adopt either the side Touch ID button or maybe Face ID. It does not look like it'll be Face ID, but some of the leaks are just saying it'll be a very small refresh, not really any major changes, just 5G support and maybe a slightly larger display. What do you think? Do you think the home button is still going to be there for another year? Oh, yeah. I mean, iPhone SE... I don't, I don't see this getting Face ID technology. I know the, mm. the stuff is getting cheaper to make, but it's just not in it for this. There's also rumors of the iPhone SE Plus. So I could see two things happening. I could see the iPhone 8 style uh, get you know recycled again with a new processor and, and 5G connection. And then the iPhone SE Plus be an iPhone XR kind of style. Mm, again, right. like would Apple want to bring back a rounded face ID phone when we have the flat sided phones now. I mean, that body's completely out of production at this point, right? 
That's true. It's only the SE. Yeah. So it. it's 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 it would be odd to to see that and then to I don't know do the iPhone Mini. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna bite our time with the iPhone Eight style. Mm. Uh, how big is that display? Is it five point four inches? Oh, you're testing me now. So so pretty much the size of the iPhone Mini, right? So right. my guess is we're gonna get an iPhone SE three that looks like an iPhone eight, and then the next one will be the iPhone Mini body brought back from the dead. Well, and this is a, okay. I'm sorry. So the iPhone SE second generation is actually a 4.7 inch display i forgot how small it was so even even more so (laughs) right it just it just proves the point like the the sc and i'll bring this up when we talk about the ipad air but i looking at these more consumer focused devices it seems that apple likes using leftover stuff from other products to make these things and sure the iphone sc i could i could definitely see just being oh we have cartons of (laughs) these aluminum platings for for the uh, iphone 8 body style let's just keep selling it until we run out and then eventually they will yeah finally they'll be able to move on to the face id stuff but i just don't see them bringing back an old school uh, candy bar shaped soap slippery sides of the iphone 10r 10 series right right now with all the flat sided stuff it would just look too old and out of place so i'm sure that apple will wait until the iphone mini is a couple years dead and then bring that back for the se Mm. you know i've actually never owned an se but i know they're very popular especially just because of the price point you know 399 for a new quote-unquote you know brand new iphone is attractive especially for kids young people if you're getting them for family members so we'll see it looks like maybe in the next couple months i'd don't think they would have an event where the iPhone SE and iPad Air are the headline products. I can imagine an event where you have iPhone SE, iPad Air refresh, and then the Mac Mini and large iMac all in one event. You know, that feels like the kind of events that they've had recently. Yeah, this spring event's definitely a Mac event. And yeah. oh, by the way, here's a, a processor bump for the iPad Air and uh, iPhone SE. That's yeah. that's all I'm seeing. People are, they're sh- you know, shooting for the moon here with these um, iPhone, iPad rumors, but again, it's just guys take a breath. That's not. Let's <laughs> observe every other release cycle of Apple products, and you'll see this is not how it goes. So I'm also curious about the M2 chip because we've have a rumor here that the current 13-inch M1 MacBook Pro, which is still being sold, still has the Touch Bar, that it will be replaced by a remodeled 14-inch that'll resemble the new MacBook Pros, you know, with the whole SD card slot, HDMI port, that body style. But instead of the M1 Pro and M1 Max, that this base model MacBook Pro would have an M2 chip. And the only time we've really heard about the M2 chips is in the refreshed MacBook Air. And this rumor comes from Dylan DKT on Twitter, which he's been pretty reliable in the past year or two. It seems strange, though, that Apple would have an M2 remodeled MacBook Air and then also have a base model 14-inch MacBook Pro with the same chip. I'm not sure, you know, if there's the same kind of RAM limitations as the M1, I would think you could probably get the same specs, 16 gigs of RAM, one terabyte SSD, maybe up to two terabytes. But then what would be the differentiating factor? I mean, you have the display and you have ports. I mean, the the lineup is this right now. This is this is the lineup we have. And this is this would be Apple doing the same thing. Mm, that's true. I'm 1000 percent certain that this fall we're going to see the same release lineup as we saw with the M1. It's going to be M2 processor mm. with an with a redesigned Mac Mini, a redesigned MacBook Air, and a re- redesigned 13-inch MacBook Pro to, for Apple to say, hey, look, guys, mm. remember back in July when we gave you a Mac Pro with M1 Pro Max processor? Yeah, now we have this the second generation 
of M-Series processor. And to show off how great it is, here's complete redesigns of all the products that we started off with two years ago. Right. And uh, hmm. yeah, I think that I think that's the move. The redesigned 13 to 14 inch, I think makes sense just because again, this, this goes back to what I was talking about a minute ago. Apple likes taking the junk they have lying around and stuffing some slightly worse chipsets in it and calling it a consumer device. <laughs> that's that's what they do. Yeah, they've probably got plenty of 14-inch aluminum unibody designs laying around. Right. Give it, you know, slightly worse screen. Don't give it ProMotion. Don't give it mini LED. Give it two Thunderbolt 4 ports. Maybe those extra connectors. MagSafe. Call it a day. You know, M2 processor. That's all you need. And price it at that what fourteen hundred dollar price point? So that, yeah, and that would be kind of a nice bow to tie off the two year transition, where presumably they'll announce the Mac Pro at WWDC, and then probably available for sale late in the year. And then once you hit the November October time this year, you have the M2 Air Mini and Base Model Pro. That would be a, I don't know, feels like a symmetrical transition from the very first event to this one. People are of course, just very excited. So they're shooting again, just for the most extreme crazy timeline that they can and say, you know what? Yeah. M2 is coming out in April and we're getting an iPad pro and the Mac pro and an iMac pro and every possible computer that we've ever wanted all in the same event before WWDC. And, you know, and then the Apple car is coming out in July for just for William. (laughs) In a press release. Yeah, in a press Not release. Not an event. Yeah, yeah, just a press release. Yeah. Here, look at what Apple's done in the past. I mean, they love right, right. this showboaty type of, you know, look at what we did kind of behavior. And they said two years. They did two years. We're going to get, you know, two more Macs, you know, the, the larger iMac and the Mac Pro conclude the transition. And then Apple's going to parade out all these new fancy redesigned products with an next generation m-series processor in the fall that just sounds so apple the one device that i'm curious where they will fit is the ipad pro with an m2 chip currently has the m1 surely it will get the m2 at some point i don't think they would use the ipad pro as the first m2 device to be released so i don't think it's going to be just a year after the m1 ipad was announced at that april 20th event released in may i don't think they would do it this may The iPad Pro has also kind of been on like a year and a half to two year cycle anyway. So I think maybe they release the M2 MacBook Air base model MacBook Pro in the fall. Maybe we'll see an M2 iPad Pro next spring or maybe just in the same event as the fall. When do you think they're going to stick that M2 iPad Pro? This is definitely a spring device. Apple's been off and on between 18 months and two years with the iPad Pro, sometimes a little shorter. If you look at that calendar, it's kind of all over the place. But the Wikipedia, for just search any iPad because I've been doing this all week. <laughs> they, for some reason, every Wiki page for any iPad model has just a chart of every release of every iPad by year. And it, it looks uh, interesting. If you look at that, it tells you a lot about how Apple does their releases for certain products like the ipad air having that four-year gap i forgot about that I, everyone thought it was dead remember right oh yeah but uh anyway the ipad pro it's odd it sits anywhere between you know maybe a year i think they did that one time but every other time it's been 18 months or so right it seems too soon there's no there's no new processor yeah uh the m2 is not getting announced at the spring event it's just not going to happen right they're not going to do a july release because again that m2 i think is a fall product it's not going to get announced at wwdc uh at the absolute earliest this this fall that would put it at about 18 months yeah but even that still feels a little too early like yeah they need to have something else like the last ipad got center stage thunderbolts 
and the uh, M1 processor and mini LED. Is there a mini LED display ready for the 11 inch iPad? I don't think so. Right. You know, so I'm assuming a little bit longer here. Let's, let's say two years on this cycle anyway. Yeah, I agree. Last few leaks and rumors. The supply chain analyst Ross Young has suggested that the upcoming Apple Watch, which would be Series 8, could increase in screen size and body size again, making three class sizes that Apple might actually have like a large size, a medium, and a small. And analyst Kuo Ming-Chi has also shared multiple reports that Apple is looking into a temperature sensor as the additional feature for the Apple Watch Series 8. If they do increase the screen size once again, I would be for it. I mean, I, I would go one more millimeter, even two more on my Apple Watch. I really like the big screen, especially on the Series 7. What if it means you don't have, you have to get new bands? If you if there's a 40, what, 46 millimeter? What is this now? It's 45? It's 45 right so now. So if we get to like 47 millimeters and this thing is the size of your wrist, uh, <laughs> do you think you'd need new bands? I don't know if it meant... My battery life has been pretty good. I don't even know if battery life would be it. I don't, and I don't know what feature. I mean, we're getting away from we're getting away from watch territory. These things are going to be like full on cuffs uh, here soon. <laughs> True. I mean, there are some like big. I've seen people wear watches that are like the uh, old school deep dive outfits. Look at basketball player watches because those those guys are like the size of houses anyway, and their watches have to match. Right, like, right. They have big watches. Yeah, like look at one of their watches on a normal sized human, and it's it's comical. Yeah, like a MagSafe puck on your arm, basically. I don't see Apple making one out of three sizes have a different band i feel like if they're going to change the band they would change it for all three sizes what about apple watch pro you know <laughs> i don't know if there's enough computing power in a watch to, <laughs> to consider a pro but i would say if they do make it bigger that they should offer a smaller size to kind of even out the lineup because if it's if the sizes are like extra large and large i think there's going to be a, a group of people that might not want them that big like i know I've been thinking about getting my mom an Apple Watch, and I would not get her the big size. I would get her the smaller size, maybe even like a smaller size if it was available. But again, depends on battery life too. I mean, if battery life is just really bad on a tiny size, so. The only way three sizes make sense to me from just an Apple product perspective is the Series 8, both get bigger again, just slightly, you know, another millimeter increase. And then the SE stays at the same size so that there's That's three different true. sizes, but two different band classes, that kind of thing. Which we kind of have now because yeah. you can get the SE in two different sizes, can't you? Yeah, I guess you can actually, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the yeah. old sizes, 40 and 42. Yeah, you can get 40 and 44 in yeah. the Apple Watch SE. So even right now, we kind of have four different sizes because you can get the Series 6 and the Apple Watch SE in 40 and 44, and then the Series 7 is 41 and 45. So A lot of these leak guys, they only see parts, part numbers, stuff like that. So it's right. really hard to say exactly what we're looking at. I mean, this might be that rugged uh, display. Maybe it has a just different size class or different structure. So it has a different display panel. That's true. That might be, might, that might be where they might be getting these separate size from, even though it might be looking like the same size on paper anyway. Right, because the rugged model could be like 43 millimeters, and then you would have 41, 43, and 45 as the three sizes for the new watches. I'm still curious what a rugged Apple Watch means. Like I don't see Apple doing like rubberized casing for an Apple Watch. And the titanium with sapphire glass is pretty durable as it is. So 
I'm curious what that would mean, rugged. Like, is this something that Dwayne Johnson has to wear when he's rescuing something from a volcano in a movie? Like, I <laughs> I don't know yeah. what kind of rugged you're looking for in a, in a smartwatch. It brings me back, and I, someone will find me on Twitter and tell me, I think this is college humor. It could have been one of those 30 comedy <laughs> channels. Yeah. But I don't know if you've seen this. One of the, gosh, it must have been 2014. One of the, the videos where they parodied Johnny Ive releasing an iPhone. Oh. And, and he's just like... And we made it out of the same thing as cases. So you no longer need a case. It's just made out of the same stuff. So if you drop made it. Made out of case. Uh, brilliant. You know, just like, brilliant. Wow. Yeah, like revolutionary. Yeah, you know? that's hilarious. They should make the whole plane out of the black box material. Why don't they do that? Right. right. Anyway, listeners, that, that's a joke because it wouldn't fly. It's different. Anyway, last couple of things. iPhone 14, there was a rumor that ProMotion would still remain on the iPhone Pro line and not come down to the iPhone 14 regular, which honestly makes sense to me. This is how the iPads work. You have ProMotion on the iPad Pro, but on no other iPad. It's not on the iPad Air and it's not on the iPad Mini. And then even on MacBook Pro, you know, we have ProMotion on the new MacBook Pro, but it's not on the Air. So it makes sense. It's, it's in the name, Stephen. Yeah, it's, it's in the name. It's a Pro yeah, yeah, yeah. feature. I don't see it coming anywhere else. A lot, a lot of people seem to think that it's like, oh yeah, let's just bring it down. It's like, you, you understand the difference in these devices. Prices c- goes with the feature, right? Like that thing's expensive to put in. Right, exactly. I don't, I don't see them putting that in like budget devices. But I think we skipped over the iPad Air earlier. We never got to that. Oh, yeah. Have you heard about the, the rumors surrounding the iPad Air 5? I mean, other than just updated processor and center stage, was it, what's the other big one? 5G, you know. Oh. <laughs> they, have, they have to do the 5G update. Yeah. Well, iPhone SE too, yeah. 5G. I, did, I did see one weird rumor I wanted to ask you about uh, what you yeah, thought yeah. of this. OLED. Did you see that rumor? The uh, We have an article, yes. I think, yesterday. One of the display guys said that Apple's ramping up production OLED panels for an iPad Air to release in the spring that doesn't feel right no it doesn't i don't that does not feel right at all because i would not no i don't think so because okay mini led is more advantageous to use in larger displays it's better it doesn't have you know screen retention or burn-in issues it's really good at color accuracy and stuff but oled is better at darks it it, i think it has even better color accuracy Mm. like it has its advantages they each have their pros and cons but ultimately i think it's cheaper and more advantageous for apple to target mini led and eventually micro led for these larger displays right oled gets very expensive right uh once you get a bigger than a phone so that's why i don't think we'll ever see it in the ipad pro models but then like to put it in an ipad air this display tech that is maybe technically better than mini led on paper why would they kind of one-up themselves there it's just a it would be a very odd product choice i think yeah i agree i mean they wouldn't do it for the 11 inch pro and then have mini led in the 12.9 inch so that wouldn't make any sense. That wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think that's coming to the air. If Apple's ramping up production of 11-inch uh, OLED displays, it must be for the Apple car. That's- <laughs> or the Apple Home device that'll have a screen on a HomePod. I'd be down for that. But then no, 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 that's not. Yes, everything in Apple's lineup has mini LED, except for phones having OLED. Right. Oh, by the way, here's this HomePod with OLED just <laughs> randomly. No, no, I know. I, I did want to mention, we didn't really get a chance to talk about this last week, but the Rumors of the iPhone 14 changing from a notch to a pill and hole punch design. I think we, we mentioned the hole punch, but then after that, there were these rumors that it'll have both a elongated pill and a hole punch. And I don't know. They look kind of funny. There was a bunch of hilarious memes and stuff of like riding iPhone using the, the elongated pill and hole punch as the eye and stuff. I don't know. I mean, maybe the elongated pill. I don't see Apple doing a pill and a hole punch 
where you'd have like two holes in the front. For that matter, I would think they just keep the notch. I mean, what do you think? I don't really understand why the pill part is there if only because like the camera needs to be free from the display in order to physically collect light and see the image it's taking a picture of or whatever yeah but the other sensors they're not they're not going to get bothered like you can have a thinner layer of glass for infrared stuff like that like there's ways to get through that so there's really no technological reason for apple to need a whole nother cutout for its sensor array for face id and stuff so that and like why wouldn't they just make it one long oval um with everything connected that way it it doesn't seem very apple to me and again this is all stemming from i think i mentioned this uh last time i was on the show it's all stemming from an image of a backplate of an iphone supposed 14 right where there's two separate cutouts for the modules but it did not show the cover glass the glass could cover mm. that pill shape completely and obfuscate it and we would never see it but right. inside of the frame of the phone there is a pill with a dot but i think it's all stemming from that and everyone just ran with it correct me if i'm wrong unless there's a, another photo somewhere of a, of a display panel with this thing no. but no yeah very odd choice i don't see it happening i'm sticking to the whole cutout but really i'm, I'm just going to probably say it's just going to be a notch and the iphone 14 design is just going to look like an iphone 13 sorry guys <laughs> i i feel like that's probably accurate. it's just it seems like too much at once i i still can't even understand uh how we're going to get rid of a camera bump after making it bigger like twice as big generation yeah, over generation and now it's just going to be gone congratulations i don't think it's a flat back i i really doubt that tim cook walks into the office and says guys we need to overcome the laws of physics by the next <laughs> iphone release or make it an inch thick right which also yeah does not seem feasible so well those are all the leaks and rumors i wanted to get to I guess you could say good news stories. I wanted to redeem AirTag as a product because we had talked about some anti-stalking things last time and all the articles about that. Well, now this is kind of a good news story about AirTag. This was a military family. They were moving, I think, cross-country. The military spouse, Valerie McNulty, actually put an AirTag in the items that were going into the moving truck that this moving truck was going to be taking their belongings. She had heard about some horror stories about moving trucks, so she wanted to be able to possibly track where the truck was at any given time. They expected a delivery date of January 7th with the truck and all their goods, but did not come. On the delivery date, the driver said that they were like days and days away. She pulled up the AirTag in the Find My app and saw that the truck was just four hours away from the home that it was supposed to be at, and the driver was saying it's going to be days before we can get there. The driver obviously caught in whatever lie it seemed like he was trying to spin and said that uh, we'll be there, you know, soon or whatever. I've had a couple of days later. So I thought it was interesting that they were able to use AirTag to great effect in this situation to actually track their belongings across the country. This story is crazy to me because I was in the military forever and PCSing permanent change of station is what this woman was going through gotcha. where you basically tell the military I'm moving to this location come to my house and collect all these boxes and they send professional quote unquote professional movers right. uh, they'll even pack for you right. quick quick horror story my sister did this with her she was married to a marine or is currently still ex-marine but they did this uh while he was in the military and they packed food in some of these boxes and then put it in storage for like six months so when they got their Ooh. stuff back like potatoes had eaten through photos like it was just it was a mess oh, yeah man. like they, these people are terrible <laughs> they're 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 Goodness. uniquely just somehow the military movers like just are uniquely terrible <laughs> and uh this this woman's like you know what i've heard all these horror stories i'm gonna hide an air tag and track it and this guy <laughs> if i don't know if you, how deeply you read into this he actually 
uh, admitted that he decided while driving the truck full of their stuff was going to stop for like three or four days to visit his girlfriend oh my and then make the delivery. <laughs> wow. Because yeah, apparently uh, she, you know, she looked and he was only four hours away. This was at his girlfriend's house and he had to admit, I see he was probably fired after that. That's, that's, that's completely insane, but wow. just wild. Anyway, air tags, good uses. Yeah, there, there are good uses. So that's air tag. And another kind of good news story was that AirPods might have saved a woman's life. This woman is named Susan Putman. She's 60 years old. She was working in her garage studio. She does like floral work and she fell and actually probably passed out, knocked herself out as she fell. I guess she was bleeding at the time and she realized she needed to call 911 but didn't have her phone around. But she realized she still had her AirPods in her ears. So she said the magic words. I don't want to say it because I don't want to accidentally dial emergency services on you. As you listen, she asked her AirPods to call 911 and it worked. Police were able to show up and help her. And I think it's interesting that we used to hear so many stories of the Apple Watch saving people's lives because they either fell off. I know there was stories of like bicycle riders that fell off the road, like in a ditch and the watch detected a fall. And so they were able, you know, it automatically called emergency services without the person having to do anything. And now it's even moved to AirPods because she was able to make the call from, you know, where she was laying, didn't have to find her device, didn't have to have anything. Presumably she didn't have an Apple Watch either. So yeah, I thought that was a good story also. Steven, do you know how much a life alert uh, service costs? No. Is it exorbitant? Oh, I, I don't know either, but I'm assuming it's oh, like... Okay. <laughs> so on, I'm on Life Alert's website right now, which redirects to seniorliving.org. And it says that it ranges from 50 to $90 per month for, I guess, the equipment and the service to do this. If you want mobile and GPS... It's an additional $20 a month, I guess, with whatever device you get. And this device does not look very nice. This is like, I don't even know what you describe it. I guess you can also have like a key fob type thing to trigger life alert. They have all kinds of uh, crazy devices. I just wanted to point out like AirPods or Apple Watch, these devices Apple sells, basically nothing and no subscription right. compared to what you have to do with uh, any normal thing like life alert. You, right. If you've ever been on a television before, you've probably seen one of these commercials. Fallen and I can't get up. Yeah, yeah it, they're just wildly specific. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the situations are like, what? Yeah, is that, it, it's yeah. it's very much like the 3 a.m. infomercials where they try oh, to sell yeah. you a blender yeah. that doesn't have a lid that flies off and spews uh, strawberries across your kitchen. But yes, anyway, I sent you a picture of the website I found. I don't know if you're seeing the same one. I just thought that it was very accurate to what they were selling. Whoa, that I am not looking at that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't a, know where you found that picture. Lifealert.com. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, okay. Uh, mo moving on. I just thought that was a fun little tangent. <laughs> I will make that the chapter art uh, because that is incredible. I mean, this, these images are from the 1980s that they're using. That, that is something. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so again, good news story for AirPod. Uh, let me touch on this before we get to the one password thing. The IRS actually announced that they will soon ask for video selfies to confirm your identity when you're dealing with the IRS. And the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service here in the States is like the tax federal body, whatever. And they've partnered with ID.me, which is an identity service based out of Virginia, but they're using ID.me to verify your identity for your account that logs you into your IRS stuff. All of this is like super confusing, but. Do you have ID.me, Stephen? Well, I have a story about this. Okay. Yes, I, I do. I, I also have it, so. 
Okay, so I will just say, I'm not sure. I had to do something funny with my taxes, not illegal. I was working with an accountant. Uh, something funny, <laughs> so, Stephen? That sounds terrible. Us. No, I, I had a unique tax situation. I will put it that way. And I needed to create an account like four or five years ago. And whatever account I created then has carried over till now. And so my ID.me account still works with the IRS. I can log in. But I needed to create an account for my wife and it was using the ID.me. And I just did this like less than a year ago. And it was the most frustrating process because even then they were asking for picture selfies, not video selfies, but pictures. She was doing it from her phone. We uploaded it. We were uploading like passport images and it just took forever to actually confirm her identity. It actually kept erroring out. It kept not accepting whatever picture. It said they couldn't verify identity. It took, I think, literally two months of me like emailing their support. And I don't think I ever called anybody because they're not really phone support, but it was just a really frustrating process. Maybe this whole video selfie will make it less frustrating, but I do think it's wild that it's like video selfies now, not even photos. And I don't know, with the deep fake technology today, who knows what it'll be next? Maybe it'll be, I don't know what's after video. 3D 3D depth maps of your face. Metaverse identity confirmation, Uh, which I don't even know that would be a thing. So ID.me, the military uses it. Oh, okay. But now I get to use it to sign into Apple websites to get military discounts. So that's fun. No, it's it's a confusing, terrible process. It will never work, has never worked on the first try. Uh, Some sort of algorithm or poor human is looking at your photos, trying to determine if your driver's license that you got eight years ago looks like a photo you just took if we all have to be subjected to this guess what it sounds like the irs to me they the most painful brutal process possible but hey guess what i already have one so i don't have to worry about it yeah and me and my wife have them now too so hopefully that just sticks could you imagine maybe apple's identification system uh tapping into this maybe at some point that would be cool i mean yeah it would be cool and i don't know if it made it more seamless where your identity can just be verified across platforms or across, you know, like you have your driver's license and that ID, but then you also have your ID.me and IRS. I mean, it'd be great. They could just kind of use one over the other or use one in place of the other. So it's okay. Apple, Apple's not good at IDs either. I saw this on Twitter yesterday. Someone pointed out that if you go in your settings, you have a context photo for yourself, a photo for your iPhone information and a separate photo that is unaware of these other two photos that is used for iMessage. So yeah, Apple doesn't know how to do this either. So, and if you have a Mac, your profile on your Mac could be a different picture, yeah, even, then, even if you're iCloud. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a, a random basketball or baseball, yeah. Zebra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep. You know, one of the last things you think about during the day, because it's probably the last thing you do, is your mattress. But your mattress has such an important role to play in the sleep that you get every night which then affects your whole next day. I hadn't thought about my mattress for a while, but you realize it gets more uncomfortable as it goes on, probably have an older mattress, and that's why it's time to upgrade your sleep experience using Helix Sleep. I love Helix Sleep because it has a quiz you take on their website, and in just two minutes, it matches your body type and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Everybody's unique, Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. Soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. After I took the Helix quiz, I got the Plus mattress about medium firmness. I sleep on my side and took all of that together to give me the perfect mattress. I've actually had it for almost two years now, and I absolutely love sleeping on my Helix mattress. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. 
Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So go to helixsleep.com slash Apple Insider, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I know you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners if you go to helixsleep.com slash Apple Insider. It's a great deal, up to $200 off and two free pillows when you go to helixsleep.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Helix Sleep for sponsoring this episode. Before we answer some listener questions that people sent in, and I wanted to touch on some video converters for Mac. I know it sounds super nerdy, but I don't know, I had some some suggestions for there. I want to talk about this 1Password deal. 1Password, which is the app and service cross-platform, we've talked about it before. They actually took a round of $620 million of funding, like VC-type funding, and it brings 1Password up to a $6 billion valuation. Now, typically, if an organization or business is growing like that, it's a good sign. So John Gruber had a Daring Fireball article kind of commenting on this 1Password investment. And he said, he quoted a friend, he said, unless 1Password is factoring in the value of every individual password, a $6 billion valuation for this company makes no sense. So being just a company that saves your passwords and secure notes, being valued at that high of an amount, it feels funny, but it also puts pressure on 1Password to provide that kind of value to its investors. And so I tweeted out semi-flippantly, like, I guess it's time to slowly change to iCloud Keychain. And it's not because I have a concern for security of my current passwords in the app right now, but kind of like how Dropbox did this weird expansion into other areas. And it's not really even a cloud storage anymore, which it is that, but now they do password savings and they do collaborative work environments and they do all this weird stuff that is not really core to what they did. One password stories. (laughs) One password stories, one password memoji, one password in the metaverse. There's going to be pressure on one password to justify this kind of investment. And because its product is strictly just passwords right now, just saving passwords and syncing them between your devices. They do some like network monitoring and stuff like that. Like they check to see if your accounts have been compromised. Right. If Home Depot has like a thing, like a a breach, they'll tell you change your Home Depot account. Yeah, but like Apple does that now too by default. Like I I, I guess, so I guess it's not a very complicated system to set up. So uh, yeah, I guess the question is, is where, where does this money go? What are they spending it on? How does it return? Typically what happens is companies like Dropbox will be begin to move more into the enterprise market where 1Password does have commercial or enterprise type plans. I actually use 1Password on Teams where businesses pay for each user. So there is expansion to be made in there. But then also when companies start expanding into that enterprise market and things just get a little weird and iCloud Keychain, now that they've added two-factor authentication and it's gotten better overall, I'm kind of using it more by default, at least when I'm in Safari. I, I just feel like why pay for 1Password when I'm not sure what direction they're going right now and I can just use iCloud Keychain. That being said, it's not a perfect system because Derek Means on Twitter, you know, he said, I use the Brave browser on Mac. iCloud Keychain doesn't work there. And I do that as well. For any web development, I'll use the Brave browser. I stopped using Chrome, but iCloud Keychain doesn't integrate. 
And so that's why I think this is a prime opportunity. Maybe we could see this at WWDC for Apple to break out iCloud Keychain, like we've said before on this show, into a standalone app that you can access on your iPhone and on your Mac that might even then build extensions to use in web browsers like Brave so you can use your iCloud Keychain in other web browsers. I mean, Apple might want to stay locked into Safari, but I think it could make it a, a bigger feature, maybe even make it a iCloud Plus feature. Keychain has a Chrome extension, and doesn't Brave allow you to use Chrome extensions? It does. Also, iCloud, you can use iCloud Keychain and Brave? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking you. Like, I'm, well, I'm going to go look right use, now. If you can use Chrome extensions in Brave, then you should be able to use the 1Password Keychain extension. But on top of that, I do want to point out that, yeah, while like, uh, 1Password has a very specific feature set, Keychain isn't for everyone. People listening to this podcast, uh, if you were paying attention during last WWDC, we're about to come into a whole new different thing with passwords uh, called passkeys. It's about to change how we interact with uh, authentication systems using biometrics and stuff across our devices. Apple has this, it's an open system where you're going to be able to use Face ID to enter a password on your Apple TV app, stuff like that. Like it's getting very complex very fast. And uh, from watching the developers talk about it, the implementation's almost ready. So this year we could start seeing pass keys start taking over. I, I would just recommend uh, if you're an Apple nerd and you like that kind of stuff, you're probably going to want to start looking at Keychain anyway. And I'm sure one password's going to be on top of that. But Apple's kind of promising right out the gate, like, yes, you will need to use one keychain to use passkey, but we're going to make a system and keep it in place where you can use it everywhere. For instance, the Chrome extension. So, okay. As you were talking, I just went to the Chrome web store, which is available in the Brave browser, and there is iCloud passwords available as an extension. It appears to be there, and you can pull your iCloud passwords right from there. Yeah. In the last two or three years, if you haven't looked at iCloud passwords, it's a whole different monster than what it used to be. I wish they could just add a couple more fields, you know, like one password, you can have the two-factor authentication, then you can secure have like notes. secure notes or just notes in a login. Because, you know, if you have account recovery pass keys, like usually when you enable two-factor on an account, they'll give you some recovery pass keys. And I usually put that in one password as well. So just adding a couple of features like that would be nice. Keychain has a long way to go. Apple really needs to break it off into its own application. I mean, yes. on Mac OS and iOS, like that is 100% what needs to happen here uh, for it to really start gaining ground uh, around people, uh, getting noticed by people who aren't into Apple. Like I tell my friends all the time, just use Keychain, like because they're constantly resetting their passwords on everything or getting hacked or you're getting these weird Facebook Messenger uh, things from people just because they guessed their their mother's maiden name or whatever and (laughs) getting compromised here. And it's just like, guys, just use Keychain and use like a 30 digit password you'll never remember, but the phone will remember for you. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's just just crazy (laughs) to me that this is still so under the radar. Like it should be taught in schools kind of thing. Like just have strong secure passwords. I don't understand why it's such an issue, but like a paid thing, like one password, it's so it's kind of expensive already from free to $40 a year is, is you know, what you would say expensive. Right. Keychain is that no barrier to entry kind of thing other than you have to know where it is in the settings menu. And uh, that's a lot for a lot of people. So Apple has a long, yeah. long way to go to make this a little more accessible. And real-time follow-up. Unfortunately, you can install this extension on Mac 
but this extension is for Windows users to use. And so even with the extension installed in Brave, you click on it, it says this extension is made to be used in Windows 10 and will not work on the Mac, even though you can install it. So yeah, on Mac OS, there's only one browser, didn't you know, Stephen? Right. Apparently, apparently. Safari. So listen, if they just added that, just the extension you already have, Apple, just let it be used on a Mac and people can use alternative browsers. So anyway, again, I'm not going to dump one password right now. Like I'm still going to keep it. I still use it in a family, which is another feature that iCloud Keychain, you can't really share logins with other users. And one password, you can have vaults that you share with family members. You can pay for that family plan. But there's still some features that are going to keep me there for a little bit. But I'm going to just make sure my iCloud Keychain and one password account kind of get in parity and have all the logins in both places just in case. Well, you can always you can always export your one password list into a formatted list and then import it into uh, Apple Keychain on a Mac. You can't do that on iOS, but you can do it on a Mac. You can import them in on the Mac, really. Um, am I crazy? I don't know. Maybe I am. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh my goodness! Import passwords. Jeez, I'm just right. showing you the how to do Blowing all this. Yeah. My mind. Canceling Blowing one my password mind. right now. No. Uh, <laughs> so you can export and import. I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. That way you can have password parity across those two systems okay. if you use multiple systems. I wonder if it how it does with duplicates. That's that's the next question. It, uh, let me tell you right now, Stephen. It probably doesn't. Um, <laughs> It'll just duplicate everything. Well, better than not having them. So question though, just before we, real quick before we move on. Yeah. What do you think of this passkey stuff? Like, I know we've talked about it before, but does that interest you at all? Does it sound like a, a cool thing? It's super interesting. I do think the future, like 20 years from now, <laughs> is not a thousand passwords for every site. I just think it's a long way off, you know, because so many different websites and companies and things need to adopt that kind of thing. But I definitely think it's the future. I just don't know how far in the future. I guess it gets into the dangerous area. Well, as, as long as you can still have a unique username, um, it's not like you must use your face for both kind of thing. Right. Uh, biometrics, because that, that would lock you one account to one system and that, you know, removes privacy and blah, blah, blah. A lot of a lot of issues would arise from that. But like, as long as it's just a password prompt is using your biometrics kind of thing, that interests me because that, that way you could have, yeah, it, technically it'd be the same password for multiple accounts, but your password in that case would be a unique biometric. So how do you break that? Right. It's, it's definitely something I want to keep an eye on. I I want to see how other password systems handle this, and if there is going to be cross-platform integrity here, or if it's just going to be a disastrous mess. I'm leaning towards disastrous mess. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Right before we get to the Q and A's, I wanted to mention this article. It was the best video converters for Mac. Malcolm had the article on AppleInsider.com, and I just wanted to mention some of my choices. He's got a great list here, and here's some apps that if you need to convert video. Maybe you need to make it smaller so you can upload it somewhere or send it somewhere. Obviously, QuickTime on the Mac is still a good tool. You can export to multiple resolutions. You can change a video file to audio only just using the built-in QuickTime app on your Mac. So you have QuickTime there. VLC is a great free app to use to not only play a varying array of video formats, but you can actually change the format and export things in VLC. A compressor is Apple's app for professional video encoding. So I use compressor in conjunction with Final Cut, and you can change formats to all kinds of things, make videos GIFs and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, I said GIF. And then Permute is another great option for the Mac. And the last couple of things I wanted to mention was if you have some reason to maybe 
rip a Blu-ray disc because you want to save the movie that you purchased with your own money legally, and you want to have a video file that's high quality of that Blu-ray, you have to use two apps in conjunction. As far as this is how I've done it before, I'll put links in the show notes to this, but I use an app called Make MKV. Make MKV actually will take a Blu-ray disc and it creates basically an uncompressed MKV file of the video. It'll be like 50 something gigabytes because that's how big Blu-ray discs are. And then with that MKV file, you can convert that to a kind of playable, more format friendly uh, file, either using Handbrake, which is another great application, especially if you just need to rip DVDs. Handbrake is usually pretty good about that. And so that combination of make MKV with Handbrake is a great way to rip Blu-rays into you know, easy format video files. You may need something to get past the copyright because a lot of Blu-rays make it difficult to rip because of the built-in copyright protection. And for that, I would recommend you look into Homebrew. Homebrew has some options for copyright bypassing and all that kind of stuff. And I won't link to that directly because I don't know, like <laughs> legality-wise, I don't know, you know, how above board that is. But Homebrew is the what you need to look for to kind of get past some of that copyright stuff. I do it just because I like to rip my Blu-rays. Like I had old Blu-rays that I just wanted to be able to rip and uh, that's what I use it with. So there you go. Steven, do you know how I watch movies on my stuff? You stream, you stream it, you stream. I open the Apple TV app and I spend $10 and watch the movie. Listen, that is what I do 99% of the time now, but there's, there's just sometimes, uh, I don't know, in my work anyway, that I, that I've needed to do this. So, oh sure. Yeah. There's, there's circumstances. It comes up. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we had some listener questions. I'd asked, hey, let's do a Q&A session. And I we have some questions, so I want to run through them real quick. And the first one is actually from you, Wesley Hilliard. He said, do you still find glitter in your beard? And I am happy to report that I no longer find glitter in my beard. If you don't know what that's about, listeners, you should look at the HomeKit Insider episodes on YouTube, youtube.com slash Insider. And I said, if we reach a thousand subscribers there, I would put glitter in my beard. And I had a very cinematic slow-mo video of me pouring eco-friendly biodegradable glitter on my face. But no, I don't find them anymore. I did find one in my windscreen for the mic that I used the day I recorded that, but that's been it. It's it's totally out of my beard. I'm happy to report. So if you hit 2000 subscribers, Andrew has to shave his head and wear a <laughs> wig that is identical to his previous hair and see if anyone notices. That's that's the bet, right? He has agreed to nothing. <laughs> He's agreed to nothing. So uh, we're still trying to find a recommendation that uh, Andrew will actually do. Uh, now, this next question came from at Complex Simon on Twitter. He asked, what is your top 10 list of irritating UI discrepancies between iOS, iPadOS, and macOS? He gave an example of the functionality in Apple Music versus TV on iOS and iPadOS, like weird things with the back button. So I totally get what he's talking about. I don't have a full top 10 list, but I will say three annoyances. The Notes app, which I use almost exclusively for the notes for this show. I share the notes with Wes, William, and Andrew. And there's weird discrepancies of like where to go to make text into a heading or subheading. On the iPhone, there's like a plus button. On the iPad, it's like hard to find. A lot of times I have to look up the hotkey to do it, the keyboard shortcut. And then on the Mac, it's different. So notes could use a little more seamless organization there. Shortcuts is probably the most glaring difference. And shortcuts on the Mac is just still not right. You know, it's hopefully in the next Mac OS, Apple will kind of update that to just be better. And then iCloud Keychain that we just talked about 
Again, it's in the system preferences on the Mac. It's in the settings app under passwords on your iPhone. They could just solve this by making a standalone app like we just talked about. Just make it the keychain app. Let it be Apple's password storage solution and let it be that. So those are the three I had. I don't know if you could think of off the top of your head, Wes. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've, I have long running uh, complaints here. Oh, oh the contacts app on iOS does not have the ability to edit or manage groups. You have to use a third-party app, period. Right. That's it. Like, you can go and see that you have groups. You can toggle them on and off, but you cannot add or delete groups, nor can you add contacts to specific groups. It's complete insanity. So why even have the feature in contacts? Like, I feel like this app needs a full makeover. I've talked about this in previous shows. There's so many cool things you could do here to make like contacts and iMessage and photos into this like miniature social network. Oh, come on, Apple. It's right there. Anyway, <laughs> you, you can't add media to your music library on iOS, iPadOS. Right. Uh, you have to do it on the Mac. And even then it's slowly dying. The Apple's trying to get rid of that altogether, it seems. Photos. The Photos app, you cannot add faces to photos on iOS, but you can on macOS. You can name unknown faces on ios that's there but if you want to say hey this is a face they're just wearing sunglasses you cannot do it on ios it's crazy that is, yes those were excellent examples of frustrating examples like i know these because previously i was you know pretty much ipad iphone only so if i wanted to do these things i would have to go and boot up the old mac mini just to name a face in a photo it's it's crazy yeah no those, those very good annoying choices i do want to mention mr jeff wilson on twitter he didn't have a question but he was showing off his old mac museum i guess you could call it but he has an old ibook PowerBook and an old MacBook all set up over here, including one I'm various envy one that I'm very envious of, which is the 12-inch G4 PowerBook. That was my first Mac, and of course he has a picture of it right there. And I will use that as the chapter art because that's pretty sweet. So anyway, cool collection. Do you collect any old Apple gear? I wish I kept my old Apple gear, but no, I don't collect it anymore because I I do trade-ins a lot now just to keep you know to get new devices i like getting the most value i can out of the old one so i trade it in right away i do wish i would have kept my first mac my first iphone and my first ipod i regret that yeah i randomly i think i mentioned this before i randomly got a ipod video i still haven't done anything with i need to get the 30 pin connector for it so i can plug it into my computer yeah i don't collect these things i've been tempted to multiple times i go to a flea market here in town a lot and it's just one of those where people just sell everything uh it's it's basically a giant yard sale kind of kind of deal uh with like (laughs) seven or eight nine buildings there it's just a huge huge thing in our area i constantly see old macs i'm like imacs from 2007 2008 I've seen MacBooks there. Very tempting, um, but I'm 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 gonna have to start. <laughs> if I ever saw like an iMac G3, I would buy it in like two seconds. I don't care if it's three hundred dollars. <laughs> that would be just cool to have to put on a shelf. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe when I get into my new house and office, I'll get some old devices to put as decor around the room. James Apple was tweeting some questions about the release schedule for some of the mini and MacBook Air stuff, which we covered earlier in the news. So hopefully that helped you, James Apple. And finally. Friend of the show, Fernando Silva. He's got an incredible YouTube channel talking about iPad stuff. He had several questions. I want to run through it. One, what's an iOS, iPadOS, macOS feature you use that goes relatively unnoticed? And I think a few things that we've kind of come to take for granted, I would say. I think the photo sync across Apple devices has gotten very good across Mac, iPhone, and iPad. And it's just something that Because it's good, nobody talks about it. Like there's not really many issues. So I think that's been really good. iCloud backups, again, kind of along the same line is really good. 
I know we talked about iMessage recently in RCS, but the iMessage in the cloud and it's working with SMS where I can reply to an SMS message on my Mac, even though it's just a regular old SMS, the way that works with continuity and everything is just awesome. And one thing that is not so much an OS feature, but the fact that older devices still support the newest iOS. I mean, Apple, I think, is probably the only one that supports devices five years and older. You know, I still have a couple of friends that have iPhone 7s, which was released in 2016. It's a six-year-old device, and they still run iOS 15. And actually, even the 6S runs iOS 15. And so just, I think, Apple's support of older devices, giving those software updates to those devices, I think they're second to none in that regard. And because, you know, no one really talks about old devices much anymore, I think it goes unnoticed. The iPad Air 2 still runs iPadOS 15. Wow. See, that's the kind of stuff. That's what I'm it's, talking it's about. It's insanity. Yeah. I, I wanted to point out one. Uh, continuity features just in general. Like, I constantly copy something on my Mac and paste it on my iPad. And it just yes. ha- it just happens seamlessly. You never think about it. Like, stuff like that is really cool. Google did promise that they're going to try to do this um, in the next 30 years or so on Android. So we'll see if that happens. But I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of uh, iPhone users... Just don't um, recognize like the, like a uh, night mode. A lot of times, I'll, I'll notice like people be like, "Wow, I can't believe this photo came out this way," and it's because of night mode. Half the time, like people don't right. even realize that their phone has night mode or what that uh, moon indicator is on their phone. They just, "Oh, cool! This this photo worked. I never thought it would actually take a picture." Stuff like that. Right. No, that's good. That's really good. Yeah, and just the camera in general. I mean, how I don't want to be disparaging, but like it's just foolproof because. I see people take pictures with their iPhones that like they don't even wait for the shutter to like blink on the screen before they move the phone. And somehow the iPhone still captures those images and captures a clear one, which I know there's so much computational photography going on in the background. It's like constantly capturing stuff as long as you have the camera app open. But even so, it goes unnoticed because it's so good and it just helps normal people take great photos. And so best, this is also from Fernando, best product idea based around MagSafe. We've seen lots of different MagSafe chargers, but I think some of my favorite ones is the MagSafe car mount. I use the Belkin MagSafe car mount, which is really cool. I love being able just to throw my phone up there, puts it at a good viewing distance and I don't have to like hook anything in. There's no like holster. It just sticks right on there. And I got my wife that MagSafe pop socket and I don't use pop sockets personally, but the fact that she can have a pop socket and it's not glued to the back of her case anymore, that she can actually just take it on and off via the magnet is really cool. So I'm glad PopSocket made that a MagSafe thing. I feel like MagSafe is still early days. Um, oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. The, the best accessories are yet to come. People are still just basically converting old accessory ideas into uh, magnets. Um, <laughs> right. The, this this thing has just unlimited potential, I think. Uh, the, the battery pack stuff is relatively novel, but I still think is missing the point. I do like that uh, it's massively improves wireless charging even non 15 watt chargers just regular qi chargers using um, apple's magnetic alignment system it's just day and night you just throw the phone down and as long as you feel that snap into place you'll hear the bump click and you're done and you're charging whereas before it's just pure magical guesses if your phone is charging or not you need a bright (laughs) green led light flashing in your face telling you if your phone is actually charging yeah if you're just using regular qi chargers it's it's just really cool tech and it's so silly because it's just a simple magnet with an nfc chip embedded uh in the back of the phone and they made it work yeah it's sweet 
And his final question from Fernando was, how's the house coming along? And so if I haven't mentioned it on this show, I'm in the middle of building a new house. It should be done in a few months. And I am right now at the time where I will be running my own Ethernet cable and my own home theater speaker cable in the rooms that I want that. I talk about it at length on the HomeKit Insider show that comes out Monday. If you'd like to hear all the details, you could check that out. The Wi-Fi network I think I'm going to go with and some other stuff. But if listeners of this show have recommendations for in-wall and in-ceiling home theater speakers that are not crazy expensive, I talk about my experience at Best Buy, the HomeKit Insider show. But if you have recommendations for that kind of stuff, home theater stuff, receivers, and maybe just like in the middle of construction tips about running wire and Ethernet, and like I'm going to run Ethernet everywhere to every Apple TV, to every Wi-Fi access point, all that stuff. But if any of our listeners out there have been through that process and have some warnings or some tips that might help, we're right in that stage where I'll be kind of doing all that myself in the next couple of weeks. And I'll be tweeting about it if you're curious. So follow me on Twitter at Stephen Robles. That's in the show notes. But yeah, that's where we are. So Stephen, uh, just for my recommendation here, um, I, yes. I use Sonos. Have you ever had Sonos products? I have had a Sonos one and it was sounded very good. I did like it. So Sonos is cool. And I, I, I got in early. I mean, I'm talking 2016. I've had the same. It's the original system. I have like the living room, like uh, home theater system. Uh, and a couple of other speakers and not added much to it since. So I don't have, I have like one of the newer systems, which is a Sonos beam in my bedroom and that's it. But uh, yeah. if I had to start over again and I might uh, here soon, just cause I've been thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know that I would want to go all in on a proprietary network, especially outside, technically outside of Apple system. It does support airplay kind of legacy style airplay, but it, it works. Right. I think if I had to do it over again, especially for the home theater system, I think you'd be better off investing in nice speakers mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the brains being a home kit receiver. And then yes. that way, you know, something cool happens, Dolby Atmos 2.0, blah, blah, blah. You can just change out the receiver. You still have the very nice sounding speakers, but now you can add even more intelligent technology just by upgrading the brain in the center. And I think that is a much more efficient system than buying a $600 subwoofer <laughs> that, that has Wi-Fi connectivity. It's just, no, no, you know, no. Sonos is great. I've loved my system, but I've been doing the math and I was like, I really want that Dolby Atmos upgrade. And it's like, oh, I would have to spend $2,400 to yeah. get it and then guess what in two years when a new sound variant comes out it's now outdated and i have to do it again i i kind of now realize like oh if i want to do the apple style upgrade whenever i want to type stuff for this i'm going to need something a little bit more interchangeable and a receiver where you yes have to run cables or something like that if you're building a house run the cables in the wall there you go right especially since sound cables are universal generally so you can probably run that cable and have a outlet for a speaker pop out near your TV. And that would be really cool too. And that's that's exactly what I hope to do. I'm going to look at some HomeKit receivers. I'm going to run that just standard speaker cable. And so recommendations on brands of in-ceiling and in-wall speakers, you know, Best Buy has some crazy expensive ones. I'm, I'm not looking to do that. Maybe I'll upgrade them later. But, you know, ones where I can get a pair for 150 to 200 bucks. And also I even saw that monoprice.com has in-wall subwoofer and there is actually a room that I might do that in. So if anyone has any experience with that kind of stuff, like an in-wall subwoofer, the in-wall speakers. Put a subwoofer under your couch. <laughs> you know, have you ever heard of a butt kicker? No. <laughs> 
That's so, I'll have to look. At so that. in in music, there's a butt kicker. You would put it under the drum player's seat, and it was literally this huge motor that would vibrate when like the kick drum was hit or when the bass player played a note and it would vibrate and it's right under the seat of the drum player. And so they would call it a butt kicker. And some people would do that in their home theater. They would literally mount those under the floor where the sofa was. And so in addition to a subwoofer actually doing sound, they would have these butt kickers like vibrating the floor. So we'll see. That's the reason why 7.2 exists now because the point two would be you'd have a subwoofer in your face and then a subwoofer under your furniture. And that's like a legitimate thing people can do. Um, yeah. You can look into. But anyway. Exactly. Uh, let's hit the, the Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard just because I was a big StarCraft uh, player back in oh, the day. <laughs> and so, so Blizzard, I've recognized that name. And I, I think it's interesting. Microsoft acquired Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion valuation, making it the world's third largest gaming company by revenue behind Tencent and Sony. So I, I think it's interesting that Microsoft wants to get big into the gaming industry. And I don't know, this might be something that Apple wants to consider with Apple Arcade to get some like first run, like AAA games on the Apple Arcade platform. But what thoughts did you have about it? First of all, it hasn't happened yet. Regulatory approval is going to be real crazy for this one. Mm. Uh, Everything I've heard covering this is talking about Facebook and the metaverse. And I think that's exactly what Xbox wants. So regulators are like, oh, it's a it's a move to compete with Facebook. Approve, approve, approve. They're going to send it on the way through. But what's really happening and, you know, Xbox knows this. It's about the games. It's about having um, access to IP on its platform that can compete with Sony. Because right now, if you haven't checked, Sony's IP catalog or uh, intellectual property catalog is insane. They have some of the best studios in the industry right now. And Xbox has been hurting for a while. And after buying Obsidian and stuff where they they have access to uh, Elder Scrolls and and whatnot in the future to uh, go exclusive, um, that's great for Xbox. But now getting call of duty and such possibly making it exclusive i mean that that would be huge for the company and very sketchy considering uh like right now sony is the call of duty platform i don't know how much you keep up with gaming steven but sony kind of stole the uh, call of duty namesake during the uh, console transition last generation so the ps4 cycle Mm. sony's had all of the upfront dlc all of the promotions and stuff if you see a call of duty commercial it is playstation playing it so um Mm. xbox buying this uh now just kind of screams in the face of that and i i I wonder what's going to happen with the regulatory approval process are they going to require xbox to play nice with sony and let them continue their exclusive exclusivity deals like could you imagine xbox Mm. owning activision and having to give playstation six month dlc access like it's (laughs) insanity anyway I, I i'm very interested in seeing where this goes i've seen a lot of fun art i don't know if you've seen clippy and call of duty yes uh, all, yeah. all, all the stuff <laughs> well going i around. saw basic apple guy put clippy on a world of warcraft figure and then i requested he put it on a protoss character and he did that and i really appreciate <laughs> it and that was yeah, very all, all the great memes but of course yes. you know behind the memes is scary antitrust so yeah, we'll see. I'm I'm not against it because, um, as I said on Twitter, none of these properties these companies own affect me in the least. I'm definitely 100% diehard PlayStation, you know. But you know, God of War, Final Fantasy, Kingdom Hearts that that's my playground, and it is yeah, yeah. PlayStation for unless Xbox goes to buy Square Enix, like I 
I would probably storm Ooh. the Xbox building if I had to, if the, if that was going on. But uh, yeah, this doesn't affect me. And Call of Duty's been a bad game since the Modern Warfare Two. Fight me. Yeah. You know? What if What if Apple bought Square Enix? I'd be okay with that. I have all. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you know this, but I have all of the Final Fantasy one through nine on my iPad. So you know, I, it's already <laughs> it already fits. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm a big Final Fantasy fan. I, I put eight on my iPad just to try it out, and it just was kind of amazing. Like the wave of nostalgia to play Final Fantasy eight on an iPad was kind of just kind of wonderful, actually. All right, well that was it for today, listeners. You can follow Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. If you are you know from Apple or Google and want to submit an anonymous tip, or if you're a little birdie, you can actually message me on Signal securely and anonymously. That's in the show notes as well. If you could, give us a five-star rating and review in the Apple Podcasts app. That helps out the show. You can also support the show with $5 a month to get an ad-free version, early access, and you get into our private Discord channel as well. Don't forget to check out the HomeKit Insider Show that comes out every Monday. I'll talk more about my new home construction in Monday's episode, so you can check that out. And as always, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time.